Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's the Early Education Show. It's great to be back with you for a brand new year. It's season two. We're going to resolve the cliffhanger from last year. I don't, I don't think we ended up doing a cliffhanger. But anyway, I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. It's really great to be back with you, everyone. And we've been chatting a little bit before we started recording, and we're just hoping we can all remember how to do this, which is, it's possible we don't. But uh, we, we're, we're very excited to be back after um, about five or six weeks off. So how are you both? Did you both have good breaks? How, what did you get up to, Leanne? Uh, yeah, I had a fantastic break. I went off to the Tassie Wilderness and uh, did lots of walking and looked at lots of beautiful beautiful landscape that needs to be saved so yeah it was terrific what did you get up to lisa oh i did something just as healthy i went to northern new south wales and queensland and explored food and alcohol of that region (laughs) (laughs) all right i think that's that's not in crisis is it hopefully that doesn't need to be saved that's not going anywhere (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what about you, Liam? What did you get up? We had a lovely ride. We had a big um, family holiday down at um, in the Central Coast, which was lovely. But probably, well, I won't say more exciting, just in case my family listened to it. But probably just exciting. I did also my annual uh, deletion of all my social media accounts, so I stay off Facebook and Twitter and everything for usually for second half of December and all of January. And that was it's always very nice to do. I think particularly given. Uh, the start to 2017 and the tail end of 2016. So um, uh, I'm tentatively getting back. Liam, Liam, do I need to tell you something? Oh, God, what? Trump was elected <laughs> and he's not doing it very well. Oh, no. Okay, well, oh, let's... Uh, we, well, Maybe you want to stay away from social media. I was going to say, Lisa, couldn't we have made two minutes of 2017 without talking about Donald Trump? But anyway. We, we've got a rule in our house that you can um, only start talking about Donald Trump after 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay. <laughs> I like it. You mean you don't check his overnight tweets at 6am? No, I said talk. talk. I said oh, talk right. about it. <laughs> Nobody's allowed to have a conversation about it before then. Um, so welcome back. We hope you all had a great break as well. And um, for those of you working you know, directly in centres with children, we hope you're um, refreshed and energised for another year of teaching. And for those uh, you know, who support those fantastic educators and teachers doing those roles, we hope you're uh, energised and ready to uh, continue advocating and supporting those people. But um, we, I'll, I'll, before we sort of get into it, I want to... Uh, just uh, go through a couple of just minor changes we're going to be sort of making to the podcast. You might have already seen as it downloads. We've got a bit of a bit of a new look. Um, I've um, I like to fiddle around with some of our some of the design software and come up with random uh, new stuff. So I hope everyone likes this slightly new look, although um, uh, my daughter Annabelle's drawings are still nice and front and centre there. But um, in terms of the structure of the podcast, we're going to do things just uh, just a, a tad differently than we did last year. So I think last year our general strategy was um, to do. Uh, quick news of the week where we talk about one one sort of thing that popped up during the week and then usually tackle two topics or one topic in an interview or sort of do two different things. Um, we, uh, we were aware, though, that towards the end of the year, episodes were generally hitting about uh, 70, 80, or in some cases 90 minutes and required being being to be chopped up and released as another bonus, which um, although we have a great fun recording them, I'm not entirely certain that people want to be spending 80 to 90 minutes a week listening to us, although I could be wrong. Um, and also, you know, just given making sure we can continue the podcast and not um, burn ourselves out too much. So uh, the structure this year is going to be that we're going to do, instead of a news of the week, we're actually going to do a news list where we're going to talk about uh, whatever number of things have come up during the week that actually are worth discussing. So some weeks it might be, you know, one just one news of the week and it might or it might be um, you know five or six things on there and it just means we can be a bit more responsive to what's happening in the sector um, particularly given this year you know we're looking at things like the NQF review and the jobs for families package so uh, we'll, we'll do a bit of that and then we're just going to tackle one topic an episode so it might be one topic or it might be an interview with someone or it might be um, you know a look at one particular thing which means that We've got more to talk about during the year and also hopefully means that episodes won't be uh, going to quite those lengths and um, we're not asking so much of people. Uh, the second big thing is we'll, we, we, we're really grateful for the support um, that everyone's shown us this year um, and we've, we decided over the break to, um, to offer another way for people to support us. Uh, uh, so for anyone who listens to other podcasts, they might have heard of Patreon before. So Patreon is a, um, a direct to... Uh, a direct connection between creators of things like podcasts or 
um, blogs or other sort of um, creative uh, expressions and their listeners or their consumers or their readers or their viewers um, to provide some small financial support for us to do the work. So we did think long and hard about this and we, we, we don't necessarily um, want to be we're expecting anyone to do anything, but what you can do if you go to patreon.com forward slash early edu show, if you really like what we do and you were hoping for some way to support us, you can make a really small monthly donation to the show. Um, it can be as small as $1 a month or as, or as much as you're uh, feeling up to doing. But um, what that helps us do, and to be really clear, we want to be really clear on this, this you know the podcast will always be free. If we get no support at all, we'll still do this every week just because we love getting together and talking early childhood. But with a bit of support what it means we can do more fun stuff we can we can do stuff like live shows um or or going and sort of taking the show on the road and recording in different places and um it just means we can cover some of the costs that the show does which um it's you know website hosting and hosting like for the how podcast. very expensive microphones very expensive so fancy microphones um but even you know web hosting and um all that kind of stuff which um <laughs> which sort of do, does add up and and also um being slightly uh um pitiable and pathetic even just my time to edit and put together the podcast which does take a little bit of time um that's just a way you can you can make sure the podcast you know can can thrive and grow and do some new fun stuff so again uh we, we you, you don't have to uh, the show will always be coming to you each week um, <laughs> sorry with, this, <laughs> with exactly this kind of high quality broadcasting now you can pay for it everyone you can pay for what you're listening for right now so <laughs> And have been almost since the beginning of of you talking, and I couldn't hold it in anymore. I'm sorry. So, just to reiterate, everyone, if you're loving the the, the professional nature of our podcast, and would like to, Hang on, to offer she your died, support. Liam? Shouldn't we ask support? if she's well, well, Lisa, even if she has, I think it's very rude of her to do it while I'm in the middle of talking. So even if she has, we can we can wait till after I finish. But so if this is the kind of thing that you feel like you should be sending your hard-earned money towards, please feel free. <laughs> so that will be patreon.com forward slash early edu show. And I'll repeat that at the link. But um, uh, yeah, I, I I don't think I've got anything else to say now. But this is the kind of top, top-notch quality podcasting you can be directly supporting yourselves, everyone. Are you all right, Dalianne? I'm fine. Thank goodness for the Australian healthcare system. It's all right. Okay. Fine. So having got that out of the way... Um, as this is the first episode back and we're all slightly, um, well, if we're not dying, we're also slightly wondering exactly how we used to do these last year. Um, we also, um, as often happens in over the sort of December, January months, are often not that quiet. Um, there's a fair bit that happened over December and January. So this episode, instead of doing um, a topic, we're actually going to do a bit of a longer news list than usual. And um, I guess this, this episode is going to be kind of be subtitled, So What Exactly Did We Miss? Um, so we're just going to talk about um, uh, a bunch of stuff that sort of happened over the break and also happened in the last week or so. So, um, even the last day, yeah, even the last day. Well, this is this is breaking news almost as we're recording this on a Wednesday night, um, which is just after Malcolm Turnbull's National Press Club address and some media that happened today. But um, we'll we'll start by going back a bit um, earlier than that, and um, and then we'll be back to a sort of. Um, uh, we'll, we'll have a sort of main topic for next week where we'll be um, discussing something in the field of early childhood. But um, we'll, we'll kick things off straight away. So I'm going to go to our planned news list. And um, we, I, I, mean, this, I think this happens at about this time every year. It depends, obviously, when people really start hitting the $7,500 cap. But uh, again, the, the, the media stories around the high costs of early childhood and, and early childhood fees rising and then slagging going back and forth about who's responsible for it and what needs to happen. Um, on it, so there was probably probably two. Or, I can't remember. It was probably early January. There were two or three sort of big media days on it, and a lot of it linked to um, the Jobs for Families package and the government accusing Labor of um, of uh, you know sort of holding up reforms that will will help the the, the costs of increase. But um, uh, I mean, it, I mean, there's probably not a huge amount to really discuss. Except the only thing I'll say is, I mean, we have this discussion. It feels like we have this discussion almost like clockwork every year. And it doesn't seem to have changed the government's mind in either amending their package and changing things to actually fix that or that it's going to change the Labor and the Greens' position about opposing the package. Was there anything sort of new in this round of stories about this for either of you that stood out? 
I think yeah. there was in that it was very much linked in some of the media to the national quality framework. And I haven't seen that in the last year or two. It was very big before the NQF came out, but it kind of went silent after the NQF came out. But this year we're suddenly back there again. Rising fees are all because of the ridiculous regulations. Uh, yeah, and sorry, I, I was just going to say I, I love the idea that um, that Birmingham would say with a straight face that they have the government has some sort of um, control on the fees and some sort of responsibility for keeping them low because what is never um, written in any of these articles, and I mean I think it did come out in the fact check, was that um, you know it's really about the market and the market sets the fees and anybody can charge anything they want to. So it's it, it's just interesting that on one hand the government wants to claim that it's it's kept um, the fees uh, lower than this sort of big blip that happened in 2008-2009 when Labor was in power but um, now you know how they can be controlled is kind of a, a bit of a a question in everybody's head, isn't it, when you've got a market out there? Because basically it's the market that controls them. What, what, the thing that sort of always occurs to me on this, I mean, part of the, I mean, the, the news stories were kind of around fees in general, so this is a little bit of a, a tangent to that. But one of the things that's really affecting um, families, and, it's, and, it, and it gets worse every year due to inflation and, and, and rising fees, is the, is the childcare rebate cap so that you can... that. Um, the maximum you can earn per child is uh, sorry. The maximum you can claim per child is seventy five hundred uh, a year, and that's been frozen since I mean since the Gillard government was it was two thousand and nine or ten. It was I can't remember. It's been frozen for a long time, um, and clearly fees have in- increased as they would anyway for during that time, uh, which means that people are hitting that cap where they used to hit it. You know, quite close to the end of the financial year, and then that sort of came back to April and February. And now there's there's cases of people hitting it now. I'm always intrigued. I don't, I don't know. And to be fair, I'm, not, I'm going to sort of equal the opportunity bash Labor and Liberals in this. I don't know why they didn't just they don't just increase it. Like it just seems like yes, there'll be a, a cost impact, but I don't think it's going to be like it's it's one part of the CCB CCR system. It just seems well, like they don't need legislation. They don't. They they could do it, and that would such be. I mean, the, the incredible news story for them. I don't know why they just ignore it. It still cost a significant amount, though, Liam. It's not. It's not a case of. It's not loose change. Would it really? I'm not so sure because one of the things that they always argue is that very few people actually meet the cap. Like they've given out numbers, I don't have them to hand on how many people actually meet the cap, hit the cap and they say it's not that many. So if it's not that many, yeah... Yeah, I agree with Liam. You'd yeah. think that well, just maybe maybe this out. is a um, this is a good question that we can put out there if anybody wants to do the calculations and mm. see how much more it would cost. Because I think it would only it would mostly impact uh, it would obviously impact uh, families with children attending five days a week, and I think now it would affect um, people with four days a week as well, just due to how much is inflated. But Again, I, I, I don't think that's the majority of families. I think the majority of families, particularly under the age of three, are less than that. It just seems it just it's something that doesn't require legislation to pass. They could they could change it tomorrow. I just it's, the, it, there was an article in the paper today where someone argued that the reason why she didn't have her children in more care than she did was because of the cap and because of their fear of hitting the cap. Yeah. And so they were only having two days a week, and the other three days they had a nanny because. Yeah. Oh, mm. that would be cheaper. Mm. Mm. Well, <laughs> oh, actually, I think it was an unpaid open air. Sorry. Oh, so right. obviously that's our first instruction um, <clears throat> in our wisdom for government this year <laughs> is to just go ahead, do it, and get some. It just seems like a no-brainer to me, and just an, an easy political win. But again, I could be crazy. Well, let, let's see if we can't do those calculations this week. Let's fire the up other- the spreadsheets, people. Liam, the other thing that that did happen around this time, which I just keep seeing and every time I see it, my heart is sinking, is the minister and the government um, kind of making out that it's because of greedy childcare operators that prices are going up. Well, some of them are, to be fair. Hello. 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 Lisa Bryant. Hello. <laughs> hey, 
that you talk <laughs> Well, yeah, because what... Look, I agree that there are very greedy yeah. child It's not fair to pay the whole sector, though. charge too much. But I think that what we're seeing more and more is the government and the minister getting ready to... Under the new system that they're pushing, there will be a cap on what... An hourly cap on what people will receive per hour... And if the gap fee that people have to pay is too much, then the government will say, yes, it's because greedy childcare operators are charging more than the, the capped fee we we refund. Mm. So are you and saying that they're putting everybody into the greedy childcare yeah. operator category? Everyone. They're just, yep, and they're just setting up a, a situation where they'll be able to say that the reason childcare prices are high have got nothing to do with the rebates they give. It's more to do with corporate greed or mm. you know, private business greed. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, inevitably, okay. this story will come back and circle around. Um, for the next little while, but um, I, I was like, it always, I mean, it just seems to be something that pops up every now and then, and we sort of have the same discussion over and over again. Um, moving along, so this one, this was probably pretty, pretty quick one. Um, the we talked about this a bit at the end of the last year, the um, the outcome of the National Quality Framework review. We thought it might have been announced at the. Um, education minister's meeting at the end of December. It wasn't, um, and the which you've finally uh, kindly found the actual statement, Lisa, which says that the National Quality Framework ministers discussed uh, finalising the outcomes of the review of the National Quality Agenda for Early Childhood Education and Care. It is expected that the review will be endorsed and associated materials published early in 2017. Um, we don't have anything more for that. Do we know when the next uh, education minister's meeting is, or when the next COAG? Is it February? Is it this month? I don't it must know. Be We're soon. not prepared. I'm... I don't know. It must be soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I thought it was interesting that that was pretty much the only thing that was available on this particular issue at all, <laughs> anywhere that you could find. Yeah. That was it. The whole the whole review has been um, put down to the sort of watered down to uh, four lines. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. Somebody um, in the know as to what's in that review told me that they didn't think that the likes of me would be very impressed. Well, mm. it's interesting that nothing's really leaked out, or there's no information at all about what's going on. But I'm slightly worried that given the the I mean the amount of time it's taken to do this, and the fact it always sort of worries. But it takes if with the longer it takes, and the longer they want to announce it, generally means it's not necessarily going to be that popular. But I guess we'll. We'll find out early in 2017 if the ministers are both believed. So, uh, in the probably the next thing to have a quick chat about is earlier in January the new CEO of ASEQA, so the Australian Children's Education and Care Quality Authority, the uh, overseeing body that oversees um, early childhood and um, school age care and family day care in Australia, was announced. Um, Karen Curtis, who was the first CEO, so she was the inaugural um, CEO appointed when ASEQA first started in 2012, uh, stood down uh, at the end of last year. And uh, Gabrielle Sinclair has been appointed as the new CEO. Now, um, I don't—I don't think uh, either you, you, either of you two, know her to speak of. But um, she's from Queensland, and she's worked in a, in a bunch of sort of executive um, uh, leadership positions in the Queensland government. And it does say including um, early childhood and school uh, education. So, um, yeah, I and guess I, th- I think too, Liam. She's been a teacher as well. I yes, actually, which is probably most important. I should have said that first. Yeah. So, which is which is really good to hear. And I think, um, look, I think it's inevitable that um, these these kind of roles are generally filled by um, bureaucrats. And I hope I don't, I don't say that word with a nasty inflection. But I think yeah, the, the radical in me would love to have you know a, you know a practitioner or someone who hasn't held those roles. But I think given the size complexity and um, and the work a sequel's got to do, I guess it's kind of inevitable. But um, yeah, I mean, do you two have any thoughts on that? beyond well welcome Gabrielle and hope you do well look one of the things that I'm really hoping for is I've always liked the Queensland Department's um, communication with the the early childhood education care sector in Queensland about the NQF they really have done it well you know they've made sure they've thought through issues on behalf of Queensland services and they've just done a really good job of communication so I hope she brings some of that um, communication kind of side of things to a secret because I don't necessarily think that's been done well, 
you know, in recent times, possibly always. So I'm looking for a, a bit better communication from a sequel to the sector. Um, mm. And I think, too, with that positive um, kind of approach to the NQF as well, that that's, that's quite encouraging, isn't it? If, if, if you're saying, Lisa, that it's had that, that general sort of overview and communication that has happened, then there's a positive attitude to the NQF. And that's For a, sure. That's a great start. That's a wonderful start. Um, but I, I think, too, there's a few things that, because we're giving lots of advice tonight. Um, I, because we I just think, know everything, I, I, really, don't we? <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure everybody's interested to hear exactly what we think all the time. Um but I, I think there's three major things that would be awesome for a sequel to do and, and that requires um, leadership for it to continue on and to have a, a really strong future is to ensure the NQF is fully implemented. Who knows what's in the review, but hopefully nothing that we're too upset about. Um, so to have that full implementation of the NQF, the consistency between the states, and I know that that's got to be administered at a state level and the operational stuff is definitely at a state level but I think a CEQA has a strong responsibility for trying to get greater consistency between the states and maybe it's a little bit of what you're saying too Lisa it's about securing the identity of a CEQA so that a CEQA really knows exactly what it's there for and what it's doing so that's that's my special three-point plan there. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Well I think she could do I mean I mean I'd be suggesting her first thing would be making sure she's subscribed to this podcast and listen to all the old shows. <laughs> so I'm um, very happy to provide advice. So yes, so well, welcome, welcome to the sector. Uh, and uh, we, we, I mean, we're probably hopeful we may better have a chat with her down the track if um, we haven't offended everyone by that point. Um, well, I'm going to turn to the New South Wales experts now because we're going to have a bit of a chat about New South Wales. So there was a um, sudden resignation of um, Mike Baird. Uh, was that, it, it was January, wasn't it? It feels like it, it was, actually a lot happened, but it was only a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? So yeah, it was Mike, Mike Baird's out. We've got a new premier. Um, I'm going to get this surname wrong and you can correct me. I think it's um, Gladys Berejiklian. Is that right? Pretty oh, good. That's yep. good. Can I got to say, it's great to have some more female premiers around. But um, in terms of having to spell and pronounce surnames between Gladys Berejiklian and uh, um, and uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk in Queensland, they don't make it easy for us. That would be yeah. Bit... But but listen, listen, you know, if they've gotten to where they are with those names and being chicks. God, they've got to be good. They're doing well. Well, we, we might discuss that now. So as part of, um, as generally happens, when there's a new leadership at the top, there's a bit of a new broom and often ministerial positions change hands. So that is what has happened in New South Wales. So um, I might actually let, uh, Lisa, do you want to run through that with mother than me trying to pretend I vaguely know what's happening in New South Wales? Can you let us know what the changes are? Okay, so we had a very popular in New South Wales um, uh, education minister, Adrian Pickley. He wasn't as popular with the early education and care sector as he was with the school sector, basically because he really didn't do much in our sector. But in the, the school sector particularly liked him because he advocated quite strongly with the Commonwealth Government for the full Gonski funding to go through. So he, unfortunately, was on the wrong side of, you know, his party, which is the Nationals, in the, in the reshuffle, and so he lost his portfolio. So, too, did the actual early education and care minister, whose name was, God, I can't even remember it, Leanne, what's her name again? <laughs> Leslie, <laughs> Leslie Williams. Leslie Williams, that's right. Oh, I'm Lisa. making an in-joke, really, because really she didn't do that much for the education and care sector in New South Wales. And her performance in things like estimates was pretty lacklustre. She didn't actually have any idea um, about her portfolio. So she's gone and we have a new up-and-coming um, uh, person whose name is Sarah Mitchell. Um, I reckon she might have been given the job because she's a chick and she's a chick that's got two young babies. So, you know, who else would you give early education to? But um, and she's a career politician, but let's see what she brings to it and she may well do a very good job. And I guess um, you two would know this better than me, but I think she's kind of 
one of the first things you can have to deal with is she's kind of been lumbered with the new preschool funding sort of shenanigans that have taken. This is um, uh, I, I was I, sure start smart start. What is it? Start smart. What are they calling it there? Start, I can, start strong. Start strong. Start strong. There you go. And it was some well, combination yeah, of meaningless words. Say, but Liam, when you say she's been lumbered with it, <clears throat> by all accounts, I think her department will tell her that it's awesome. Oh, right. um, and I think that, um, you know, I think it will be very much up to the sector to let her know mm. that perhaps it's not quite enough. I don't know if we agreed with that sentiment in our show we did on it last year, did we? I thought we might have had one or two issues with it. <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> yes. Just perhaps. slightly. Yeah. So um, I guess that's another watch the space. We'll see what happens. And, and I know that uh, we've uh, we've obviously got Lisa and Leanne to keep us posted on what's what's happening there. Um Actually, Lisa, I'm going to turn to you for this one as well because you wanted us to have a quick chat about this. So this was a story from last week that um, that caught uh, Lisa's eye and sent it on to, to Leanne and and myself about um, a, a new early learning centre in uh, New South Wales that purports to have a university focus in terms of what they do. Um, so a university-style campus that do things like language classes and yoga. Um, I think my response to it was I'm not entirely... I mean, we'll, we'll include a link in the show notes, but um, and Lisa might give us a, a little bit more of a rundown. But um, I, I read it and just wasn't entirely sure what they were talking about. I didn't know if it was really... It was, the article was poorly structured and they didn't give a good understanding of what the centre's actually doing or, or they didn't really know what they're doing themselves. What, what about this sort of factor interest, Lisa? Look, it was a few things. One is just that once again we have a early education care centre pitching itself to that premium market by saying that, you know, they're like equating themselves with the university, some sort of academy for young children. And then the things that they actually have as their unique selling point is um, yoga, yeah, foreign languages, gymnastics and they and if you send your child there you'll be served nutritious food by a chef who is catered for the queen nelson mandela and margaret thatcher <laughs> like what more could you want for your at child? the same time that's a hell of a dinner party <laughs> yeah that'd be um, i'd go to that one but yeah. one maybe not with the queen but yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> But oh, it would what? be interesting because she's just offered to behead Trump, I think. So, <laughs> <laughs> but what really? I'm a bit fascinated. I did some um, work for someone who was researching this area, and I kept being absolutely puzzled as to how many of these services are concentrating on the food they serve and the chefs they employ as unique selling points. And I'm just kind of going, what, like, really, what is it that, um, why is that a unique selling point that either services think will resonate with parents or that does actually resonate with parents? I'm sure when my kids went to early education and care, if they were being given Vegemite sandwiches, I would have been happy. Yeah, but I think people have Am I wrong? Is on, there... Yeah, yeah. I think people are very focused on nutrition. <laughs> Let's all put it Don't sugarcoat it, little man. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> no, but I think people are very focused on nutrition. I think that, that quite often they're depending on the service to provide that full kind of, you know, the children can eat pretty much everything there for the day, which they do, um, particularly if they're there for, you know, 10 hours or whatever. Um, and I think that the nutrition aspect is very important to people now. I'm not knocking the Vegemite sandwich and I'm not knocking the, your previous uh, lack of interest in your, in your children's nutrition, Lisa, but <laughs> I do think that in actual fact it is a big focus for people. They love it. Food's everywhere. Like everybody can be master chefs and, you know, everything. I think food's become an obsession. Yeah, yeah I, I just I just think it's sad that that's what parents might think <coughs> distinguishes a good centre from a poor centre. But also, too, the, the idea that it's a university-style campus. Yeah, I that mean, I what, don't get. What, what, what is there that's actually university about what what's happening there? I think that's what I said. I, and I was wondering whether it was just a poorly written it, article. It certainly doesn't look. Yeah, I was actually wondering whether it was just a poorly written article. I didn't know whether, like, it was just they decided that was the hook but then it wasn't actually it was it, it's a bit of yeah i just read it and went 
at least I'm not sure what's university about this, but anyway. But, um, yeah. yeah, if you look at the video associated with it, I uh, suspect the person that, that created the video wrote the article and uh, she's doing very well for an intern, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're right. Um, now, we're going to move on, so probably people are wondering why we haven't already raised this because this was the big, the big, big, big news story um, of probably January in terms of early childhood, which is um, your friend and mine, that fantastic uh, senator, uh, David Lionhelm, who, as he is wanted to do, and I've got to say, at least he's he's not he, he's not singled out early childhood and saying stupid things about it. He generally has pretty much on any policy issue in Australia, he can have something fairly catastrophically uh, stupid to say about it. But um, I mean, he he comes from he, he what's his ridiculous the um, uh, Liberal Democrats. Uh, which apparently still exist, um, but they only get in. Uh, they only get voted in because people mistake them for the actual liberals. Um, but yeah, he, that's, exactly. That's and, right. and I think he's almost come out and admitted that. But came out and just and, and basically just trashed particularly um, early child educators working in the sector, and you know basically said that you know they don't need a university degree to be wiping snotty noses and doing that kind of stuff. Look, I, I very much doubt that if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you haven't seen it, I haven't read it, but obviously we'll include um, some links to the stories, but. Um, I mean, we can talk briefly about how stupid he is, but I mean, I think that's already been done. But I think probably the big stuff for us was probably the reaction and the aftermath with happened later. I thought, Leanne, do you want to maybe take us through that? Because I think that was very instructive about the sector. Well, I was in the Tasmanian wilderness um, <laughs> and I came back to this kind of outrageous kind of, you know, it was just incredible seeing it about what he had said and, and then people's response to it. Um, and I think there there were a few things with, with it is that, um, first of all, Lisa Bryant wrote an excellent response mm-hmm. to it and was published um, online and in print. Oh, thank which you. Which is every exci- exciting thing for a journalist, isn't it, to be actually in print. So <laughs> Go Lisa. I thought that that was, that was an awesome response. And I even um, did let Lisa know that my 18-year-old actually brought it to my attention and asked me if I'd seen it. So it was obviously getting onto lots and lots of news sites. So that was great. Um, and lots of responses. Facebook people actually directly, um, you know, went to him. But the other thing was that um, there was a fantastic um response from an educator, Chloe, who just did an incredible job of putting together a a really beautiful picture of what happens every day in a centre and what she does that is such foundational work for early childhood. And so I guess that was the the different layers of the responses, um, which I, I loved it that people stood together. I loved it that people stood up for their profession. I thought it was wonderful to see and I, anybody who really cared about this issue which was so many people they just put it out there and I, I, I thought it was fantastic um, I think the thing for me particularly with um, with the response from from Chloe from uh, I think her name's Chloe uh, Chloe Chant because um, beyond the fact just just uh, separate from from everything it was a really well written and um, eloquent response to um, that man's stupidity uh, it was a good counterpoint for me from the there was also an article from an educator at the end of last year that we we talked about on the show and just didn't didn't for me work and kind of probably worked against its message and and probably made me worry a bit for the sector but this you know was the complete antithesis of this it was you know it was it was someone on the ground doing the work um as a professional and with a really just a fantastic crystal clear response that hit all those important points about the importance of early childhood education. So, um, yeah, well, I, I can only add my, my well done, Chloe. And I broke my avoiding sort of media ban uh, briefly, okay. both to read, read, read those things and, and also to congratulate Lisa on her piece. She did a fantastic job. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I thought Chloe's response was, you know, absolutely awesome. I thought quite a lot of other educators wrote stuff that might not have been published in the way that Chloe's was, but, it, it, you know, they wrote stuff that was really good. Chloe also did quite a bit of media on radio and TV yeah. and she managed all of them, you know, with uh, although she hadn't been in that situation in front of the media before, she, you know, used um, every opportunity that was thrown at her and did it really well. And I just thought it was really amazing that um, educators 
were prepared to stand up for their profession in a way that I hadn't seen for a while. Mm. It did so feel I, a bit I, different. I, yeah. Yeah, it was great. I, I think the thing to remember too is that this is where it's really important to know our politics because um, this senator is a, you know, he's a, a, a libertarian and so he doesn't like regulation. He does. He wants small government, all of those things. He hates um, bureaucracy, all of that. And I think it's important for us to know those things as well. I think the response was perfectly appropriate given um, what he said. But the more we know about our politicians, the better it is. And the other part of this was I was just horrified to read the commentary that was um, underneath any kind of news oh, article and including under yours, Don't Lisa. read the comments, and Leanne. I know. Mm. And I just, I just <clears throat> thought, at what point did we think that every woman had to give up her entire life so that she could, um, you know, make everybody else's life better? I just, I just couldn't. It just was too much for me. It was just, it was, you know, people saying, oh, in my family there's one PhD, there's one blah, blah, and a barrister and all this, and my, my mum stayed home and looked after us. And I'm thinking, where's that mother now? No. <laughs> Where is she? And is anybody supporting her? Anyway, the, that's just a side, side issue. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. So I think we just wanted to add our um, acknowledgement of that, that that had taken place um, and that, yeah, congrats to, to Clay and you're right, all the other educators who, who took the time to really um, to, to stand up in that. And um, yeah, I think it, it, it did. It was it felt like a very powerful um, voice from the sector, which we don't often hear. So well done to everyone involved. Um, and then bringing us right up to the to the minute, really, we're going to talk just really quickly because there's not a lot to talk about, despite the fact it was sort of advertised as a big sort of policy shift. Um, Malcolm Turnbull addressed the National Press Club today um, with his, oh, can we call it a vision? I think he would. We'll probably have to. That's uh, look, what he's I've <laughs> actually got the words of his vision. I've got the words that he used. Go for so it, Lisa. I'll read them and then you tell me if it's a vision. And if it's a vision, then... Can you do um, your grumpy old man voice, though? I enjoyed that from last year. Oh, well, I'm not sure if I can if I can do Malcolm Turnbull. I think I've got Trump in my head too much. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, how would Trump how would Trump say he was going to do something in the oh childhood? That's a good child. That's a good sector. That's a really good sector. This child care package is going to be huge. Told me childhoods. <laughs> childhoods really good. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I can't do Malcolm Turnbull, but so I'll just read it in a professional voice. Oh, go for it. So this year, we will be asking the Senate to support our childcare reforms. They will deliver the highest rate of subsidy to those who most need it. A family on 60000 a year would pay around $15 a day per child for care. Now, I think... You know, a that was you know that was enough to start headline stories <laughs> about how he was going to revolutionise childcare, which really doesn't really say much, especially because it says so. This year we'll be asking the Senate to support our childcare reforms, unlike last year when they asked the Senate to support their childcare reforms, and to describe describe the um, highest rate of subsidy as going to a family on 60000 a year because they'll only pay $15 a day per child for care, he kind of admitted to say that they'll only be getting one day a week of care. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, the key thing that sort of fell out of me and there was, there was a bit of sort of news about it is um, what was going to be two separate pieces of legislation, so the Jobs for Families package and the family tax cuts that they're insisting um, go along with it. They're now saying they're going to combine that into one um, piece of legislation that the House and the Senate will then vote on. And um, I just that just, it just seems insane to me. They must. I mean, they. I've, I've given up thinking there is often strategy behind this, but they must think there's a shot that it get passed because this government, particularly, doesn't introduce legislation unless they think it's got a chance because they 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 hate the. They hate the look of legislation failing, so they must think they've got some crack of it getting past the Senate in this form. Maybe this is like one of those, you know, those sliding doors movies where you go through one door and it looks like that. Remember the Gwyneth Paltrow movie? And and maybe (laughs) Turnbull thinks this is another sliding door and everyone will have forgotten that and they'll be going through this one and this is going to work this time, (laughs) perhaps. 
I don't, Lisa, you were sort of mocking their reintroduction of this package at a yearly basis. It's, it's, it's comforting. I like that it rolls around again every year and it gets put up and knocked back and everyone ignores it and laughs at it. It's, it's, it's like Christmas rolling around again. It's just a comforting sort of touch point of the year. <laughs> it's time to put up. The, it's, it's, you know, it's been a year. Let's, let's, try the, let's try the early childhood package again. Oh, well, see, see you next year, well, everyone. That's why I, I was think... a bit amused at the beginning of uh, this episode where you talked about the cliffhanger from last year because it's like the same the same cliffhanger's been there every single year. I think you're right. I think Liam. that's right. This should, this show's been repeating itself for a while. It should have been cancelled after the first year. I don't know why it, keep, <laughs> it, it keeps coming back. But um, I think we'll, we'll we'll have a much bigger episode on the Jobs of Families package um, planned for later in the year when it sort of comes up for a vote. We'll really delve into it. But um, this, yeah, I think this was. Um, I don't know. I think people thought this might have been a sort of bigger announcement than it was, but we didn't really learn anything hugely beyond they still they are still going to try and go ahead with this despite the stuff and um, and that there still seems to be a mixture of support in the sector for it, um, but we'll, which we'll also talk about later. But um, that sort of brings and us it up. still has the same which, fundamental flaws, which is, oh, absolutely, it's not, it's not good for children. In there are some children who it really isn't good for, and some families who it really isn't good for. I think what Leanne said, though, is really important is that they may well have the numbers to get it through this time. If they've done a deal with One Nation, then they may mm. well have gotten it through. But even if they don't, they don't really lose because doing it as a combined package, they if they don't get it through, they can say Labor refused to pass the childcare package. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's it's tricky. But I mean, particularly with the government, this this closely balanced. So it's it's into very. Uh, I've, even if they can blame it on Labor, I think yeah, they, they don't like the look of losing a vote. But it, but you're right, they could be on an issue like this, which is very much the the you know the family finance stuff that they may be trying to look at pegging Labor to it. But I don't. They have, I mean, that hasn't worked really for the last. I mean, they've been trying that since they got into power, and it hasn't worked. So I don't know. Yeah, what's the definition of doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? Yep. Yeah. I think it, I think yeah. the definition is David Lionhelm. Stupid. <laughs> but um, that I think that's basically all we missed while we're away. So I think we can fairly safely say we're fairly up to date now. So thanks for for bearing with us while we've gone through all that. We'll continue doing our, our recommendations for the week. So we might um, kick off with uh, you, Leanne. What are, what are you going to bring for us uh, as our first recommendation for 2017? No pressure. Um, well, mine is from The New Yorker. I decided to avoid the <laughs> conversation for the first one. And this one's called Swing Left in the Post-Election Surge of Progressive Activism. We just don't seem to be able to move away from Trump on this podcast. <laughs> it's kind of like a semi-Trump um, <laughs> podcast. But the reason I've... Um, put that up there is because it's really about activism and advocacy and I, th- I think the one thing that um, a crazy political situation brings out is much stronger advocacy and the response to it and I, I think this is an interesting example of how um, people are responding to the election of Trump and the sort of um, activities that that he is undertaking, his executive orders and yeah, I, I guess it's just a lesson in advocacy and it's an, a lesson in um, creating change and pushing for change because that's what people can do when they come together. That's great. Thanks, Leanne. Um, what about you, Lisa? Um, I have um, uh, something very small and back to David Lionhome again, Lionhome again, I, I should say. Um, which is an article that appeared in the uh, Armadale Express. And the reason I've included it is because it's from one of our academics. It was a response to him by the wonderful Margaret Sims, who's um, an academic at the University of New England. And I think whenever any of our academics get into print, we need to um, applaud them and encourage them. So I want everyone to read it and to contact Margaret and tell her she's a star for doing it. That's a great action to, ta- to take. We can, um, well, include obviously the link to all of our recommendations. And um, yes, we could do, we hug, and, hug an academic day. <laughs> Sponsored by the Early Education Show. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, 
I'm going to start off the year with um, some podcast recommendations. So as I said, pretty much every year I, 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 I do have, as um, I think Leanne's been trying to support me with, um, thank you, Leanne, with your counselling, is a bit of a social media and particularly a news addiction. I'm a bit of a news of all. I read uh, pretty much incessantly all day, all sorts of articles and that kind of stuff. Um, and so I really enjoy that sort of uh, taking time off at the end of each year and turning that off. And what I've found this year is I've, I haven't come back to write, reading as much because it's all, beyond the fact it's all a bit depressing at the moment in terms of where um, advocacy and politics and everything are heading at the moment. Um but I still do want to be informed, and I found, um, and particularly, yeah, I'm still kind of with you, Leanne. I think I st- we still need to really watch, you know, Trump and that phenomenon closely because it's really instructive about progressive values and um, not assuming that things will happen just because we think we're right. But um, what I have found is I'm really enjoying listening to sort of to people talking about that stuff. So I'm going to recommend to if if. Following that stuff is your thing, and I entirely understand if it's not, and I actually wish I had your brain and could switch it off. Um, There are two uh, sort of American politics podcasts that I listen to uh, whenever whenever they sort of come out. um, One is the NPR politics podcast, and NPR is the sort of public broadcaster in in the US, so their version of the ABC um, and they do a fantastic uh, weekly summary, but also they do um, extra additional podcasts as stuff comes up, and um, they're a, uh, they've got a really fun um, team that do that look at that stuff. And then uh, for the for data nerds out there, the five thirty eight of politics podcast looks. Um, so, so similar stuff looks at all the politics, but they they do all they look particularly at polling and the numbers around um, policy and politics in the US. So um, my sort of commitment this year is I'm going to re- I think um, is read uh, read uh, news articles a lot less and uh, read less of those quick hits and read more longer sort of books and stuff and and listen to more because and. Um, not to speak of this podcast too much, but I do think it is much nicer to sit and sit, listen to familiar voices once a week talk about stuff rather than sort of reading black and white horrible things in by yourself. So you're going more for analysis this year, are you? I'm going really? more for analysis, but I'm also just it's, I, 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 there's something about just listening to people talking about it who are who are funny and smart and nice rather than sitting with an iPad reading the latest thing from the Washington Post, which is the latest hideous thing Trump has done. Is it, 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 yeah. I'm finding I've got less and less um, ability to do that, but that's my that's my plan for this year. So I recommend people do that more, as well. More connection, nice. More connection, that's right. Mm. Um, and you know, the, there's nothing like spending time with with people on a podcast once a week, is there, everyone? <laughs> Um, so as usual, we'll do a big um, thanks to people who have given us a rating and review on iTunes. As we as we say every week, it, it, it's a, it's a really fantastic way of supporting the podcast. If you do have an Apple device and you use iTunes, um, giving us a rating and review uh, helps other people find the podcast. It means we can sort of grow this uh, this uh, this little family of the early education show. We really like hearing from new people. Um, we had actually an embarrassingly lovely review uh, earlier in January from Melissa C. Brooks, who also got in touch with us on Twitter. I, I'm actually too embarrassed to read it all because she has sent an entire oh, go thing. On. Please read I, it. Oh, she, it oh, I'm really bad at saying nice things about myself. So just this is what the lovely Melissa has wrote. She's just she's she's put. I've just spent a day working on administrivia, which is now my new favourite word, while listening to a huge backlog of these. And I think I can confidently say it's now my favourite podcast. Lee and Lisa and Leanne are incredibly knowledgeable and passionate. We fooled her, everyone, um, about the field of early childhood education. And I learned so much every episode. As a formal local government policymaker and someone who works with families professionally, I find this podcast incredibly valuable. Uh, most importantly, though, I, feel, I really appreciate and respect all the host commitment to the rights of all children and the way children children's rights issues are foregrounded in their discussions. Five stars isn't enough. I'm actually blessing listen. Listen, that's very, that's far too lovely. Yeah. I am slightly worried about Melissa's mental because when she got in touch on Twitter, I think she, didn't she say something about she listened to us for eight hours straight or something? That cannot (laughs) be good for your health. That has to be above the recommended dosage. But um, Melissa. What I think think it's really amazing is that she isn't actually from the sector. I know. I'm. I'm. The, the, yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, kudos to you, Melissa. That's a really um, fantastic. And the, you know, the more people, and speaking of you know advocacy and and changing the stuff and and challenging idiots like Lionhelm is you know having uh, you know friends and supporters who aren't necessarily in the sector, um, is is wonderful. So 
again, Lisa, we, we, we can't thank you enough. That's, that's, that's so lovely. Um, and as I said at the top of the podcast, if you another way to support the show is by heading to patreon.com forward slash early edgy show if you can uh, support us through that we we are we are very very grateful um you'll see there are some goals there if we reach certain targets um we'll be able to do some fun different stuff i'm particularly excited so if we end up um uh, with uh, with uh, pledges to adding up to ten dollars a month so if you know 10 people donate a dollar a month lisa has to watch an episode of the bachelor and Doctor Who, and then record a podcast. Seriously, I thought it was going to be much higher People, than that. Like we we can surely reach ten. I I cannot wait for Lisa and Doctor Who's coming back in in April, so we could do it then. And Bachelor must be around about that time as well. I might be able to sit through an episode of The Bachelor, especially if he's kind of got nice body. But I really, <laughs> really, really don't think I can sit through an episode of, of Doctor oh, Who. Lisa, you're going to love it. It's going to be your new favorite show. So that that that's a very good reason to go and give the show support beyond just the the high quality product you receive minus plus or minus the coughing um so that's that's it for our first episode i think we we generally remembered how to do it i think we we didn't do do too badly but we'll be we'll be back with a sort of more regular standard episode next week uh until then you can of course find the show on all of the social medias at Early Edgy Show, so on Facebook and Twitter. Have you uh, got an Instagram account? Oh no, I don't. I don't get Instagram. I'm again. <laughs> I, do, I don't understand it. But maybe can, does one of you two want to do an Instagram account? I don't know what you put on an Instagram account. I don't account. know either. I don't, Food. Uh, I I've you got put no pictures, idea. Pictures. No. <laughs> what would we put pictures of? I don't, I don't know. Think we, look, we could have a LinkedIn account, and then we could <laughs> offer a big prize to anyone who found out what the point of LinkedIn was. <laughs> I don't think... <laughs> so if anyone who volunteers who wants to run extra social media accounts for us, go for it. But Facebook and Twitter, Early Edge You Show. Um, you can find all of our, as well as on iTunes, you can find the show at earlyeducationshow.podbean.com is where the sort of show is hosted. Uh, you can also find us all individually, uh, primarily on Twitter. So you can find me at Liam McNicholas. And me at Lisa J. Bryant. And me at Leanne. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to look up your Twitter address? No, it's okay. I do know it. Leanne M. Gibbs 3. Yeah. Just that. That's it. We're done. Sorry. We did pretty well, everyone. It's, it's, been, it's been a long break. We all had a good break. But uh, we'll be back next week. And we're looking forward to get back. We're looking forward to a big 2017. So thanks again for everyone listening to us. So we will hear, well, you'll hear from us next week. So until then, it's bye from me. And from me. And from me.